0: The Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast, the only podcast about the UK's most prolific metal band. Hello guys, and welcome back to the Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast, the only podcast about the UK's most prolific metal band. Of course, it is uh, being hosted again today by myself. Of course, who else would it be? I am Demonic Bishop, the sole musical contributor and bandleader of Infernal Symphony. So hello again, and welcome back guys. For those who are tuning in for the first time today, I'm sure you're going to really have an f- absolutely fantastic time here today. This is always a fun time. We've got an absolutely cracking episode like Up for you today, guys, because this is, of course, episode six of season three, and this is, of course, the March 2022 uh, sorry, 2023 edition. Blimey, Uh, you know what? When you're so busy, like I am at the moment, and uh, you know, you've got so much going on, it's just crazy to think that we're really into 2023. I can't believe it, but uh, anyway, yes, we're gonna have a fantastic episode today. Um, We've got some really, really cool stuff to go over, and I have got a lot of amazing things I personally want to talk about as well. Um, you know what, it's it's kind of weird really because a lot of the time, um, you know, um, behind the scenes when I'm, you know, away from recording these episodes, I'm trying to come up with things to talk about and, you know, certain topics and so on to fill these podcast episodes up with. Um, a lot of times the thought crosses my mind, it's like, wow, I think I've pretty much exhausted the sort of stuff that I want to talk about with, the, you know, whichever the most recent episode is I've just recorded. And then lo and behold, you know, a couple of weeks later, I've somehow magically, mysteriously always got even more, you know, topics to talk about than I can possibly ever hope to cram into an hour's longer podcast episode, so here we go, we've got an absolutely fantastic episode in store today, so um, let's just take stock of things a little bit, okay, so a couple of months ago, we obviously had our new year episode, and following that last month, We also had um, episode 7, which of course was talking about some of the new albums that have either just come out or are about to come out. And specifically, for those who didn't check out last month's episode, I mean, for one thing, you absolute donk, you know, what are you doing? Make sure you go back and listen to that because it was hella good. But uh, of course, last month we basically talked about... Um, Enveloped by the Rotten, which was January's brand new uh, MIDI synth album that I did. And then I've, you know, immediately followed that up with talking about Evil Spirits, which is the 29th album and my first. Full production, full length guitar and instrument based album of two thousand and twenty three. So a long time coming. That album. I obviously went into great detail about it last month's episode. So make sure you check that out. Absolutely phenomenal. I really had a fantastic time working on that, and it's absolutely amazing to start. You know, slowly start to see it really being, uh, you know, accepted and welcomed. Um, and it's really, really warming to know that because I, you know put a lot of blood sweat and tears into the album i actually spent nearly a full year working on that one so you know that's been a, a bit of redemption for me you know that's been very vindicating and it's great to see all of you guys uh you know show me some love for that um for those of you who haven't listened to the album make sure you do of course you're only really going to appreciate it if you're into old school death metal or black metal or doom metal or any of the basically more extreme versions of heavy metal so Those of you who are somehow, you know, managing to listen to this and you're not into any sort of heavy or rock music in the slightest, then, you know, more power to you. Thank you for checking this out anyway. But uh, I think you'll get a lot more out of this if you're into that kind of music. Uh, So what are we going to talk about this month? Well, you know, the name of the game of this podcast, as ever, is always to talk about various different subjects, everything from music to heavy metal to global news. Um, But uh, I'm just going to quickly start off this month with a quick little uh you know stock check of what's been going on for me personally just recently so as i sort of alluded to a few minutes ago a hell of a lot has happened in a very short space of time for me don't worry not much of it is bad i'll be going into a bit more detail about that very shortly but what else can we expect with this month's edition of the podcast well of course we're going to have our usual regular uh, regular monthly segment of the metal archives deep dives um we're also going to be talking primarily about an incredibly new uh you know musical venture let's say or aspect of infernal symphony which i have previously tried to get into but haven't ever really dived into full force to the deep end of the pool yet So basically, if that doesn't make any sense, just stay tuned, guys. It's a bit of a surprise. I'll be going into a much more greater level of detail a little bit later on. So without any further ado, let's have a quick little break here. And I don't know if you can tell from the sound of my voice at all here, but I actually pretty much can't contain my excitement about this. So uh, I'm sure we're going to be in for a very, very incredible ride. So stay tuned, guys. I'll be back in just a second for a little bit of coffee. And uh, yeah, here we go. So hopefully you guys are all enjoying this episode so far. Um, now, um, some of the stuff you're going to hear after this immediate section is going to sound pretty weird. Um, and there's a good reason for this, um, because I recently found out that, unfortunately, my uh, my uncle David Lawrence Bishop unfortunately passed away um, a couple of weeks ago. Um And, uh, yeah, it's kind of hit me fairly hard, um, unexpectedly as well. It's something I didn't really sort of anticipate. Um, I mean, uh, there's so much to say about this person. And for those of you who aren't really aware who he is, um, please check out uh, the Wikipedia page for the Church of the Militant Elvis Party. Now, that sounds incredibly weird to say, but trust me, this is going to prove a point. It's going to kind of, you know, come full circle and go somewhere. So just trust me on this one. Trust the process, guys. Um, so I'm, I'm struggling to know where to start really, so basically after this section of the rest of the stuff that uh, this episode contains is going to sound incredibly weird, like I'm in another place and <laughs> uh, not really thinking straight. And if you assume this, then that'd certainly be true because I'm kind of grief stricken, to be honest with you. Um, my Uncle David is someone who, admittedly, I don't know massively well or didn't know massively well. Um, he was basically a chap who, of course, is my, my dad's brother uh, my dad himself is 71 this year. Um, David was around about 78 when he passed away. So he certainly had, you know, very, very good innings. He certainly made the most of his time. And I'm I'm just really, really sad and sorry to see him go. Uh, now, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned there, but basically I think I, I sort of alluded to the fact that I didn't know David particularly well. And there's a good reason for this because my uncle David... Uh, for the past 20 to 30 years of his life was more or less a recluse. It was pretty much a hermit. Like he was very, very isolated, you know, self-imposed isolation from many of the friends and family that I have. And that obviously we share, uh, you know, with the, the, you know, paternal bonds there. Um, he basically lost his wife, I think in the mid 90s, as far as I can recall, I'd obviously have to check with my parents to double check this because, uh, you know, I, it's one of those weird situations where, as a family, we haven't had a massive amount of uh, communication with him for a, a long time. And there's no bad blood there. Like, it's not, uh, you know, as if there was some massive, you know, family rivalry or falling out or arguments or anything like that. He pretty much just liked to keep himself to himself. He's a very unique minded individual with some very interesting ideas. Very, very incredible mannerisms, you know, really completely one-off, breaking the mold type of person. And, you know, the more I've looked into him before, obviously, you know, this tragic event happened. Um, and of course, um, you know, afterwards as well, with some self-reflection, I've, I've begun to realize that I actually share a hell of a lot of things in common with my Uncle Dave. Rest in peace. Um I mean for one thing, he was a complete maverick you know he was a borderline anarchist in his thinking in terms of his political um ideologies and you know his will to try and you know improve social change and and, and make a difference in the world you know he was a one off creative person he was an artist a poet uh, somebody who uh, didn't give an absolute shit about what anyone else thought he wanted to go his own way do his own thing and to hell with what anyone else thinks. And in all those different respects, I'd like to think that that is pretty much identical to myself. And of course, that is bearing in mind that, like I say, I've probably met the, the bloke a handful of times in my life. And I'm, you know, I'm over 30 years old myself at this point. But on the very few rare occasions that I did meet my Uncle Dave, my dad's brother, it was absolutely amazing. Like, you know, it was only brief moments here and there, but they will stick with me for the rest of my days. Um On one occasion, he came to visit us for um, my sister's wedding. Um, It was such a funny occasion. It was really, really good. He did a little speech. He was really, 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 you know, affable and funny. Um, And, uh, yeah, so to keep himself occupied um, after becoming a a widower for, you know, the last two to three decades of his life. Um, You know, from what I can gather about him based on, you know, my own recollections and uh, various things that have been told to me from various pockets of the family over the years. You know, it's only been little bits and pieces of information here and there, little fleeting glimpses into his interesting mind. But it always seems like he was very much on the hot button issues of the day. Like he he pretty much had his mind always, um, you know, focused on the the latest goings-on with politics and with global news and, uh, you know, very much similar sort of things to the, the kind of content that we tend to cover on this here podcast as well. So, again, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, you, know, that's, that, you know, that's the thing. This is, you know, when people say that, you know, oh, it runs in your family, it runs in your blood, you know, it, it's true. I mean, this is the kind of thing that proves it to me because as much as I, you know, really have very little to do with the bloke, In my everyday to day life, you know, as sorry as I am to say that, I mean, it isn't like I say, there's not really much I could do about it, you know, from being a kid to being a teenager with very little money to, you know, getting into the job market and moving out and growing up as an individual as you do. You know, you get swept up by life as it is. And then, of course, when you add into the mix, somebody who, you know, bear in mind, he was pretty much a complete Luddite. Like he didn't have the Internet. He didn't have a computer. He didn't really even have a mobile phone. So whether that was intentional or by accident, you know, I mean, the guy was 78. So, of course, maybe he was a bit of a technophobe. Who knows? But, uh, um, but, you know, whether it was uh, intentional or not, he was a very, very difficult bloke to get hold of. You know, he lived in Nottingham for many 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 years of his life which of course is the exact same place i was born you know he lived in my birth town so you know the the grassroots connections are are right there laid out in front of us um but for whatever reason with me not driving with me you know very rarely having any money of course these days i live 45 minutes drive away as well so um you know a lot of these things coalesce and it isn't really anybody's fault but it still doesn't stop me having a little pang of guilt when i think about the fact that you know, he's, he's gone now. He's gone forever. Um, so I'm going to basically get to the bottom line as to why I'm mentioning any of this. Um, and it isn't to, you know, promote uh, you know, anything that I've been making or try and make money. You know, I, that's the furthest thing from my mind in this sort of circumstance or situation. But uh, I wanted to spend a little bit of time in this podcast to talk about what I personally remember him most for and what will, you know, basically carry on with me even though, you know, his, you know, mortal body is eventually going to be, you know, gone forever. Um, So for those of you who have no idea who my uncle David was, his name was David Lawrence Bishop. He, he, He was a painter and decorator for, you know, most of his early to mid years of his life. That was the trade he had. That's what he made his living with. And this carried on with him into his adult life because he also, uh, as I mentioned, you know, is an artist. He actually had art in in some local art galleries as well. And he was a very well-known sort of local celebrity in the Nottingham area uh, for many years, despite obviously being fairly reclusive. He did have his small little, you know, inner circle of friends, you know, uh, you know people whom he was close to. Um, And some of them actually helped him out with running his website as well, which is uh, www.grumpyoldelvis.co.uk. Now, no, this isn't what you might be thinking, guys. This wasn't a Elvis Presley fan site or anything of that nature. It was something both much more ingenious, much more hilarious, and more importantly, much more, you know, attempting to try and make pivotal change in the world, (laughs) to, to some extent, anyway. So, as I mentioned, he basically was the party leader and sole member, uh, officially, of the Church of the Militant Elvis political party here in the UK. Now, this isn't a very well-known political party. Uh, obviously, it's not certainly not the first joke or satirical political party ever made, but definitely noteworthy. I mean, as I say, you know, his political party has its own Wikipedia page, and unfortunately, it will now be defunct because there's nobody there to run it now, God rest his soul. Um, And yes, I did say that, you know, of course I'm a Satanist, but in times like these, sometimes you just have to go with the vernacular. You just have to go with the common parlance or tongue. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily think he was a Christian. In fact, I very much think against that. I'm pretty sure he was atheist, exactly the same as me. But, you know, you have to give respect where respect is due in, in these kinds of circumstances and uh yeah he this was a political party the church of the militant elvis party of course brilliant name absolutely fantastic name and he actually used it to you know rather half-heartedly i would say but you know certainly to some extent push some of his ideas and views um you know the predominant thing with it was it was a entirely satirical thing he basically was doing it to to make a point of how absolutely ridiculous politics is um you know in general but also the minute details of it as well in actual fact he used to run in by elections and general elections for two decades and although, of course, 99% of the time his actual voter turnout was incredibly low numbers and figures, there was actually um, more than one occasion where he actually did surprisingly well, to the point where he actually made BBC News um, on their website. And uh, there's a couple of videos of him floating about on YouTube doing Sunday politics programs and stuff. So, you know, certainly not the first bishop to be on TV. Of course, I might have mentioned at some point before, but um, my great-granddad was actually a piano player and... Uh, Also, um, we used to fix and sort of, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Refurbish them. He used to basically sort of fix and repair and refurbish pianos. And he was actually on TV as well. Same goes with um, my granddad that I never met, my dad's dad, Claude Navarre Bishop, where I, you know, coincidentally get my middle name from um and he was on tv as well for being a singer so you know musicianship politics art poetry all these kinds of things that i am you know steadily gradually getting more well known for all of these seeds have been planted in my ancestry long ago um and i'm hopefully finally at some point going to get to the point where i'm fulfilling all of those promises um, that are genetically within me, uh, but not to make any of this about me. This is all about David. He was such an amazing guy. Go and check out his website. You know, go and have a look as much as you can into the Church of the Militant Elvis Party. It was an incredible achievement. I mean, you know, literally taking serious politicians on, such as the Liberal Democrat Party and Robert Kilroy Silk, and literally getting more votes than them as a guy who is dressed up in an Elvis jumpsuit with massive mad. Fake Elvis aviator shades on a big pompadour wig, and he's out there dancing about and making a big joke and a big song and dance out of the serious political game. And you know what? 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 You know what? More legendary things can you accomplish than that? He was an absolutely brilliant bloke. He'll be genuinely sorely missed. um I've actually been spending the past four weeks or so writing a full album in tribute of him. you know, I'm not here to promote it. I'm just simply here to mention it, matter of fact way, just to get the news out there because this is an important deal for me, guys. And yes, it might not necessarily be the thing you normally come to this podcast for. It's certainly not a jovial occasion. But you know, I've always said right from the beginning that this podcast is going to be about Infernal Symphony. It's going to be about me, and it's going to be t- about me talking about the trials and tribulations, the successes and the you know the failures, the tragedies and the triumphs of my life. You know, in benefit and entertainment uh, of you guys. You know, I want this to somehow hopefully benefit you guys. If any of you are feeling grief for any reason at any point, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm always available to you know to try and help out where I can in the slight you know small way that I'm able to do so. Um, but um, I did actually make an album called The Church of the Militant Elvis, a tribute to my uncle David, rest in peace. Um, it's got ten tracks on it. Uh, Over the years, the political party went through numerous name changes to account for, you know, things that were in the news or media at the time or to basically just take the piss out of things that deserve the piss taken out of them. So the track list reflects this. There's 10 tracks, seven of which are former names for the party and a few are other choice quotes, which are absolutely legendary and hilarious uh, from David and they will live on despite him no longer being with us. So track one is go forth and multiply. Track two is the Church of the Militant Elvis. Track three is Lord Byro versus the Scallywag Tories. Track four is Elvis Defence League, slight return. Track five is Militant Elvis, anti-HS2. Track six is Keeper of the Royal Stool. (laughs) What a legend. Uh, I mean, track seven is Militant Elvis, anti-Tasco, Popular Front. Track eight is Elvis and the Himalayan Yeti Preservation. Track nine is Elvis Goes Green. And track 10 is Bus Pass Elvis has left the building. Hopefully this is a fitting tribute to a legendary individual, an absolute one-off, never to be repeated, an amazing comedian, consummate professional, an enigma, a maverick, poet, artist, and scholar. David, your razor-sharp wit, down-to-earth presence, and incredible love will be sorely missed. Uh, so yeah, to mark the sad occasion of his passing, I created this album, guys. Um, it's a bit of a menagerie of various different things, really. It's like a schizophrenic album. It's a completely art rock piece. Um, it's around about 40 minutes in length. It has everything from synth pop to rock and roll to punk to black metal to, uh, country music to doo-wop in there, dark ambient experimental stuff. All of that crammed into 40 minutes. Um... And, you know, it's, it's to reflect and represent the, the genius of my uncle. You know, this is a guy who came from nothing. He got well known in the community and on local news and national news for, you know, trying to uh, fuck up the system and the status quo. As we know it, exactly the very same goals that I have. There's a few choice quotes from his manifestos I'd like to mention here as well. The first one is uh, is this. Uh, The Church of the Militant Elvis Party is a semi-religious party which believes that Elvis is still alive and living in an old people's home on the Lincolnshire coast, somewhere between Skegness and Mablethorpe. (sighs) I mean, and to be honest, I didn't really even put the two things together until I started making this album that, holy shit. The Church of the Militant Elvis is exactly aligned with what Infernal Symphony is all about. We're anti-religious, we're atheistic, we stand for common sense, we stand for anarchy, we stand for fucking the status quo, we stand for trying to bring about change politically and socially and trying to make people think about things and question things and become more intelligent and try and make the world a better place. And they're the exact same goals that David had as well. Another quote from him as well. Our aims are to combat the influence of various right-wing churches on mainstream parties and political process in the UK. Furthermore, the party believes that the established church's involvement with the global market is yet another contradiction of Jesus's teachings. We are also interested in stopping the degradation of the planet by capitalism and the attacks on all people's welfare in the UK. Thus strength- strengthening the connection between me and my recently deceased uncle. So I'm not really going to go too much more into this, guys. It's fairly morbid, and I'm sorry if this offends anybody. It's just personal and pertinent to me. It was very, very emotionally important for me to mention this at some point. Um, If you would like to check out the album, please feel free to do so. I'm not really going to be advertising it much on any of my social medias for obvious reasons out of respect for David and his uh, surviving family, uh, as well as my own dad. But if you would like to listen to it, then obviously, you know, please feel free because it's a very touching tribute to someone that you've unfortunately never met and never will. But someone who has, you know, left an indelible mark on my life and influenced me in more ways than I can even explain to you, even though I've only met him a handful of times. So rest in peace, David. Thank you so much for being a part of my life, even in the small way that you were. Thank you very much, guys, for bearing with me while I process this on air. Um, if you'd like to purchase the album, of course, there's absolutely no obligation to do so, but I would certainly appreciate it. Fifty um, percent of any of the proceeds that come from the album, I will donate to uh, David's surviving family and friends. Um, and uh, thanks very much for indulging me on this. Um, I just thought I really had it was important to me to to you know make a big deal of this guy. So thanks very much for listening. Feel free to check out the rest of the episode. It's hopefully going to be a little bit more um, upbeat than this, but I appreciate you bearing with me, and I thank you eternally for all of your support in every way that you do it, guys, big and small. So there we go. On with the rest of the episode, I guess, guys. Rest in peace, Dave. Ah, so uh, eagle-eyed listeners of this podcast and regular viewers who usually tune in will probably have noticed that I've basically skipped over the usual introduction of podcast talking points that I normally do at this sort of point in the podcast. And there's a very good reason for that today, guys, and it's basically because... For one thing, my brain is that on fire with creative juices that it's pretty much all over the place, and my, you know, my, my thoughts are a little bit scattered today. I'm a bit scatterbrained, so apologies if this podcast feels a bit different to usual. But I promise there's a very good reason for it. Uh, so, uh, oh blimey, you know what? Just such a lot can happen in a short space of time. I mean, I suppose one of the major things that uh, I need to sort of get off my chest for the time being is um that a lot of dramatic stuff has happened um in both good and bad ways so um, so yeah I'm not entirely sure exactly what the tail end and the latter half of this podcast will entail later on I'm not sure what we're going to go into I'm sure it'll be good but uh, I am you know sorry to say that I don't really have a bit of a roadmap as to what we're going to talk about this month because of course we are fairly far into this podcast season so far aren't we you know usually in the past at this point in the season I'll be getting ready to wrap up and you know maybe have a six-month break like I usually do but to be honest I've been having that much fun with this. this. This, um, you know, this this go around that I don't think that's going to happen. I think I'll probably just carry on doing this as long as I can. Um, And it's kind of a weird one, really. I mean, not only that, I think it's probably just as well that I don't stop doing this season just yet, because to be honest, if I did, I wouldn't have anywhere to vent all of this stuff to. Um, and more to the point, I think it would probably just overwhelm me to the point where my brain would just explode. Um, and it's just very useful for me to, you know, kind of get all of this out and, you know, get it on paper, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, let's start from the top, okay? So, um, I suppose let's get the, the negative stuff out of the way um, at the moment. Uh, I think also something else that might be contributing to my uh, kind of slapdash approach Um today more so than usual anyways the fact that over the past 24 hours i've started stuff and this is kind of going to gross some of you out guys those of you squeamish people out there so apologies in advance trigger warning for that but uh just over the past 24 hours or so i seem to have um you know quite late in the day had a bit of a massive resurgence of my ouch of my uh, psoriasis which uh, is a bit little known fact about me i actually have psoriasis as far as i can tell um which is a bit of a problem it's usually uh, it seems like some of my triggers are basically weather related i've noticed over the past six or seven years that when the weather changes into the winter months so obviously i mean it's uh march as we're uh, you know obviously you know talking about this now so hopefully it won't be much longer um you know in the uk anyway sometime usually seems to come around about june uh, you know may june time if we're lucky so hopefully i shouldn't have much longer to to deal with this but uh it basically causes me to have really weird blotchy rashes, sort of, at the moment it's all over my sort of upper arms and, uh, you know, my trunk and it's just really, really nasty and there's certain points um, on my extremities as well, like certain parts on my fingers and in my feet, which are just really, really irritable and kind of, you know, very, very distracting, it's very hard to concentrate, so, um, you know, that's my story, that's what I'm sticking to, that's kind of why this has been a bit of a weird episode so far, so, You'll have to bear with me guys unfortunately. So sorry about that, but uh, I needed to talk about that. Firstly, as a distraction from it ironically, but secondly as well just to uh you know, just to make you aware of why this is a bit of a weird episode. But anyway, let's get that out of the way. Something else that I need to also talk about as well is has anyone um here ever owned a pet? Um I obviously as those of you who listen regularly will know have uh Two pets, well, three technically. Um, I've got Ozzy, our beautiful Ginger Staffy, and of course Cassie, our little black cat who looks like the talking one out of uh, Hocus Pocus. Well, um, once we moved into our sort of uh, parents-in-law's house around about two years ago now, um, as a result of the pandemic, we basically ended up accidentally re-adopting Boo Boo, who is, uh, well, or should I say was um, Shan's dog. Uh, She had him for an 18th birthday party it's quite a funny story really it was either when it came to her 18th birthday she either had the choice of having an animal or a car and I think I know that you know what 99% of people would normally pick in this uh, scenario if faced with this uh, decision and of course Shan being the beautiful little diamond that she is with an absolute heart of gold and you know massively hippie animal loving you know personality I absolutely love her to bits for that but, of course, she went for the dog, uh, which, you know, around about every single point up until about six months after that, she literally has regretted it pretty much ever since because, you know, having a car could really, really be useful, especially as we get a bit older. But um, I digress. So, anyway, uh, Boo Boo's always had a slight bit of an aggressive tendency to him here and there. Um... You know, it mostly only ever comes out when it's, you know, concerning territory. If there's a new intruder into the home or certain animals that he doesn't doesn't get on with. Um, But usually it's it's usually around food that he tends to get a bit bitey. And he's never really ever done it to humans, especially uh, for a long while. Um, But uh, long story short, it seems as though we're now going to have to get rid of him, unfortunately, because he did actually have a little nip at... One of um, our nephews who were visiting at the time, and they're only sort of two, three years old, so it's it's incredibly unfortunate. Um, you know, it's kind of caused a little bit of a rift uh, in some ways, and it's it's almost like grieving a an animal that you you know you, you've cared for and looked after and looked for. For I mean, it's only really been a couple of years for me, and even I've grown attached to the you know grey little bastard. But uh, particularly for Chantal, I mean, she's had him for close to a decade. Um, so it's a big um, you know it's a big thing to get used to not being around anymore so uh, you know it's one of those things where you can't really argue this sort of stuff like if, if any animal bites a baby or you know a toddler then it has to go no questions asked nobody's disputing that but uh, it doesn't obviously also help the fact that you still have emotions and feelings for these animals who you know become part of your family they're family members so I don't know that's something that's kind of just been stuck in the back of my mind for the past couple of uh weeks now that I've just had to say something about so apologies if that wasn't interesting and has no relevance to anything else we're going to talk about today and also sorry if it's depressed you as well but you know this is a black metal podcast we're you know we're about to have a bit of depressive subjects from time to time um now, with those out of the way, I can uh, safely say quite happily that we're on the good stuff now. So, uh, right, so, you know, let's just get this cat out of the bag, shall we? Um, so, what's the major thing that I'm really, really excited to talk about with you guys this month? Well, you're going to be a little bit disappointed initially. Initially, just bear with me, guys. Stick with me on this, okay? Um, so, um, maybe this is just the way my mad, weird, crazy brain works. I don't know. But I have completely and wholeheartedly and fully embraced and rediscovered the absolute magical miracle that is Dungeon Synth. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yep, no. Come on. Come on, Dom. You know, come on, Dominic Bishop. You've done this before. You've been making Dungeon Synth albums for the past four years. What's the big deal? And you'd be right to think that. But uh, there's a major story to this that I need to go over with you. So uh, I can't really explain it really, but basically since round about the tail end of September, which of course ironically enough was when I first started writing uh, uh, you and know, recording this new season of the podcast uh, last year. I basically rediscovered my absolute love of medieval game, video game, fantasy dungeon music. So you know, talking about things such as the the Doom soundtracks, uh, Elder Scrolls One and Two soundtracks, and 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 the like. You know that kind of thing. Obviously, DnD campaigns, uh, Champions of Norrath. You know, basically any good RPG with a good soundtrack over the past twenty years or so, particularly ones that were released sort of fifteen years ago and beyond. Well this is one of many 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 aspects that make up a very good idea of what Dungeon Synth is and if you go into some of the previous episodes of the podcast this season um, I've actually talked about Dungeon Synth in the past as well I think it was episode two or three so what makes this any different? Well I'm having trouble putting it into words as you can probably probably tell but basically um, it seems to be that it's really just somehow I can't explain it but it's really taken an absolutely firm, massive, humongous hold of me um, in the same way that, um, you know, a starving dog would be absolutely, you know, <laughs> incredibly amazed to find a gigantic meat warehouse. That's just, you know, the locks unlocked and he's just free to roam about and stuff his face to the brim. And that's how I feel at the moment. I, you know, I feel like... um and you know I've got to come clean here guys so real talk this is absolutely you know behind the curtain behind the scenes um, stuff which I you know have considered talking about on here and never really had the courage to do so because it's a very very personal thing that involves the inner workings of the band which you know most of the time normally goes unseen in in most of these kinds of projects and and, uh, musical you know bands and what have you Um, but um, I'm going to come clean with you you know you guys are listening to this so you obviously care a lot about the band so I'm going to just be brutally honest about it there has been occasions over the past sort of five or six years or so where I really have doubted whether Infernal Symphony is worth doing Um, and of course I would never ever stop so don't be worried about that because it's it's so important to me it virtually is an extension of me you know Infernal Symphony is a part of me so it isn't a sense of me wanting to, you know, stop because I don't feel like it's worth it, because I always, always feel like it's worth it. That's basically my mentality. My personality is, you know, much like the Japanese in in a lot of ways, you know, just continue to persevere, continue to carry on, you know, don't let anything stop you, Banzai, that kind of thing. But um, it's more a question of um, creativity and inspiration. Um, I got to a stage where really, uh, I'm trying to think when it would be. I'd say about a year or so ago, where I felt as though I pretty much had run my course creatively, and I was just going through the motions. Um, yes, I was, I was, you know, of course I was excited about creating new music and lyrics and albums, because um, that always fills me with excitement. You know, it always is something that I get an immense amount of pleasure out of. But I certainly noticed the level of pleasure and excitement diminishing as time went on. You know, it's just a classic case of diminishing returns. Um, And that's normal, you know, that's to be expected from any any creative, especially someone who does the same thing year in, year out. out. Especially, uh, you know, it's probably also a symptom of the fact that I create music so rapidly and maybe I was just feeling burnt out, who knows. But, um, you know, somehow, one way or another, I basically uh, rediscovered Dungeon Synth music recently and uh, um, I'm actually at the stage now where I can't... You know, with good faith, categorize my previous dungeon synth music as such. Um, It more kind of to me now sounds like MIDI music because that's what it is. It's basically MIDI uh, files that I sequenced and played and recorded. But, uh, you know, there wasn't, it didn't have the qualities or the essence of traditional dungeon synth as a genre. You'll have to excuse me, guys. Sorry, I keep coughing and trying to pause it to get them out. Of the recording. You might be able to tell in my voice, but uh, that's another thing I forgot to bring up earlier that's caused this really weird headspace I'm in at the moment. But essentially, I've also been incredibly ill for the past week and a half with some kind of weird bacterial infection. Um, so, yeah, health issues are starting to get on top of me at the moment. I- I'm recovering now, um, but obviously, that's been a bit of a spanner in the works anyway. But I digress. Yeah, so my previous music, I wouldn't necessarily say um had the hallmarks of traditional or old school dungeon synth let's say now dungeon synth normally um you know there's all sorts of different approaches and this is the thing I th- I think the major problem I had was that in the past I tended to just create my own music the way I wanted to Uh, figure out what it sounded like at the end and I didn't really have any idea what kind of genre or category to place it in so I just picked the closest one that I thought at the time without, you know, doing the big digging, digging down and doing the research, essentially. So I kind of thought that, you know, stuff like Faust, for example, or, uh, you know, Cease to Exist or potentially other albums such as the uh, Zealots of the Nether albums and so on and so forth, I categorised them as Dungeon Synth and I suppose in some ways they are. But in many ways, they're not really the sort of thing that you would typically associate with the genre. It'd be a little bit like calling Motorhead a thrash band. Like, yes, they share a few scant similarities to thrash, but they're not a thrash band through and through. So I suppose that's what I get, really. You know, that's kind of what happens when, you know, you just... Cannibalize as many different genres of music as possible for the sake of uh, you know creative uh, diversity and uh, variety within albums but uh, yeah they're, they're definitely the, the, you know the argument to be made that uh, that previous music isn 't really dungeon synth um, and I, you know it's it 's completely my own fault because I, I tried to create that kind of music without actually doing the work beforehand you know i didn't have a, a massively strong grasp of you know what the genre was, what it entailed, what kind of bands made up, um, you know, great portions of it and how they sound. Um, and part of that is, of course, also due to the fact that um, dungeon synth is notoriously quite a nebulous genre. You know, it kind of it kind of formed almost by accident, really, as a side project from a lot of the uh, '90s black metal bands. You know, <laughs> inspired by some of the earlier experimental electronic music and uh, basically just wanting to take a break from incredibly fast. Black metal, which of course is fantastic, but it's also quite limited in its color palette and its ability to do different, you know, emotions, you know, evoke different emotions and uh, convey different experiences. So that's kind of why Dungeon Synth evolved. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> Unbeknownst to me, you know, I basically took the quickest glance possible at it and just assumed, yep, this music I'm creating using this MIDI sequence is exactly Dungeon Synth and that's all it is. And I couldn't have been any further from the truth. I couldn't have been any more wrong. So here I am. It's the Bishop from Ethereal Symphony here. I officially hold my hands up and say I'm sorry. I apologize. I completely miscategorised my own music and potentially offended the fans of a lot of different uh, um, bands, <laughs> you know, by lumping my own music into that. Having said that I'm making up for this and the reason why is because over the past couple of months or so I have literally fell off the deep end straight into uh, the uh, the absolute bowels of hell with re- you know with regard to the just the quantity the sheer quantity and breadth of different dungeon synth bands and projects on offer um you know Metal itself is obviously very, very well known for having so, so many different types of sub Um, You know, everything from thrash to blackened metal to death metal to doom metal to uh, avant-garde metal to progressive metal to new metal, groove metal. You know, you get the point. But little did I realise, and it's absolute revelation to me because I never really considered this, even for a second, but Dungeon Synth itself, which of course is a genre which has spanned from... Basically combining electronic music with black metal and dark ambient in itself is is very very similar to metal in that it also has loads of different sub-genres, or you could call them microgenres. So things such as Dungeon Synth itself, medieval synth, mushroom synth, uh forest synth, nature synth, um comfy synth even. There's so many different kinds of opportunities available here. And this is what I'm trying to really get across to you guys in this podcast. And I apologize, it's probably taken me, you know, the better part of a half an hour to get here. But as a creative visionary, uh, if that isn't too grand to say of myself, um, you know, somebody who is trying to come up with new ways to spin the wheel, you know, new approaches to take, new avenues to explore musically. This is somewhat of a revelation to me. This is pretty much, I could equivalent it to, you know, when, (laughs) I don't know, when the apple fell for Newton. Like, it seems that groundbreaking to me, because this is a complete whole new experience and avenue which I never even considered. It's like having the biggest door imaginable opening in front of your eyes, and this is why I'm so scatterbrained, because I'm trying to figure out how to best take advantage of this. Uh... Excuse me, you'll have to forgive the uh, the ill throat at the moment, but uh, basically, um, you know, the whole aim of the game for Inferno Symphony right from day one was to try and broaden my horizons, try and teach myself new skills, both in terms of songwriting and also music and production and promotion and everything else that this band does on a day-to-day basis. Um, of course, as most of you who are familiar with the band will know that obviously started with me literally just noodling alone in my bedroom to a repetitive drum loop with a guitar I picked up from a random guitar shop, and I had no experience playing the guitar, and I just recorded it anyway and you know since then, every other album and every kind of music I've tried, whether it's been that original early style of guitar based noodling metal. On you know my earliest albums such as Unholy Persecution or the Poison Chalice, you um, know obviously from then I then went into what I at the time classed as dungeon synth, but in fact was just MIDI metal uh, with the albums that I mentioned earlier, and then of course more recently I've you know kind of tried to upgrade to a more professional stance with a better production value and better songwriting in actual. You know, things that more closely resemble real songs, um, in my eyes at least. So for example, you know, things such as Columns of Deformity and Widowmaker and obviously Reveries of Damnation. Like I'm slowly, if you listen to all of my albums front to back in chronological order, you should notice a quite gradual trend, but an upward trend nonetheless, of me starting completely amateurly. And gradually getting more and more professional each time I go. And this is the next step in that evolution. And it's a step that I've been searching for, um, whether I knew it or not, for the better part of a few years now. Ever since I started doing death metal and black metal and progressive and doom metal, you know, using my new recording setup, starting with Columns of Deformity, which obviously came out, you know, almost two years ago now. And, you know, I wrote it even b- before that. So this is definitely a long time coming and as great as that was, that was a fantastic find for me. It allowed me to fully flex my creative muscles as much as I wanted at the time and create things which I previously couldn't do because of hardware and financial restrictions. Well, you know, this new discovery, this new passion, this newfound passion I've found for this style of music for Dungeon Synth proper is the absolute equivalent of that to me two years later you know i'm discovering so many more incredible amazing bands such as hole dweller and fog weaver um and uh, questmaster to name but a few obviously there's many many others i don't really have time to go into at the moment but there's so many different things that are sparking my creativity right now um and you know i love it i absolutely love it it's so different to what i've done in the past um and this is the thing that I need to keep me going as a creative, passionate individual. You know, I can't just repeat the same thing over and over again. That's what I feel like I have actually been doing just recently. And of course, I didn't really want to tell anyone about it because that's for me to think about and me to think about only. You know, I'm only uh, basically talking about it on this very podcast right now because I feel as though I've managed to finally, you know, overcome this massive obstacle. Um and, uh, you know, you see this with other bands as well. You look at bands such as, you know, for example, with Stratovarius or Megadeth. I know I always go back to these as references, but they are some of my favorite bands. But these are bands that have had a hell of a long history And they're very much known for having loads of lineup changes. And these are obviously terrible for bands generally. You know, they tend to cause friction, they tend to cause problems, they tend to slow things down because, of course, you having to change to different members and figure out how they work and how they operate and whether they have chemistry with the rest of the band. But when it all works out, you know, long term, I'm thinking long term here, you know, bands such as these bands. You know, it it does actually have its upsides as well. It it leads to a hell of a lot of different creative approaches. It keeps their sound fresh over time because, of course, if you've got the same band members for 30 years, you know, your creative well is going to run dry eventually. These bands manage to stave this off somewhat because they always have new blood in the ranks. They've always got new ideas, fresh approaches coming in all the time because they keep having new band members coming in and out. And for me, personally, as a one-man solo black metal band this is basically my equivalent to that so you know to kind of wrap all of this up to some degree uh, and actually focus in a little bit more on specific things about this that i want to talk about such as how i've sort of channeled this this uh, focus and this energy and this passion into something um you know that is actually uh, gonna make some kind of difference I'm going to talk a little bit now about why exactly I've sort of really been needing this. This has been a necessary evolution for the band um, and, you know, why it's so important to me and what I can do with it. So typically when I write music, um, as we all do. You know, you try and avoid it, but eventually you do fall into certain patterns. And, you know, as humans, uh, I think Mick Gordon talked about this in some of his uh, game developers conference uh, video that he did when he was talking about. He was discussing how he actually created the soundtrack, the incredibly critically acclaimed soundtrack for the 2016 Doom game, where he basically talked about the idea that obviously, uh, you know, if somebody is very experienced and they have some level of success doing what they're doing, you know, human psychology, basically, it likes to look for patterns and it likes to seek out things we've tried in the past that have led to success because it's reliable. You know, it's easier, It's there's, there's less tension involved, you know, it's less stressful, it's less, less nerve-wracking because you can already trust what you've done in the past. So that's brilliant for all those reasons, but, you know, the massive downside to it is you tend to get complacent. You know, you tend to just do the same thing over and over again. You never really innovate, you never really... Do anything new. You have something which is similar to what you want to make, but it isn't a revolution. And a revolution is what I've desperately, sorely been seeking in my heart. So this is exactly what this represents for me. Normally, when I write music, I will basically, uh, you know, this this has pretty much forced me to completely rethink my entire approach to writing music. You know, even from the very basest of levels. Like typically, when I write a song, I'll start with a drum track first because. Writing drums is something I really enjoy doing. It gets me going. It gets me hyped up. And then once I've got the drum track in place and I've exercised that from my system, I can then think about what kind of lyrical themes I want to do, what kind of melodies to write, and which instruments to include in the song, and it goes from there. Um, Which, again, I love doing that, but you know, when you've released almost 30 albums doing exactly that, month after month for five or six years in a row you know sometimes you just crave a little bit of a break and a bit of a change of pace a bit of a change of scenery and you know i've, I've actually started to write some new dungeon synth music recently and it's using a, a totally different program to the ones that i used to make my old dungeon synth stuff in actual fact it's the same one i have used for columns of deformity and beyond um you know for things such as the album and horrific synthesis and the like and those of you who are long-term listeners and actually listen and pay attention to my music and my albums and follow on with them regularly and keep yourselves updated with them, you'll obviously notice a humongous improvement in quality of both songwriting and production since that period because that's the period I've my workstation and it was also the period I really thought long and hard about how to improve the sound of the band and how to increase my actual songwriting abilities. Well, I would say that, as a songwriter, I actually have a fairly nasty habit from time to time of being a little bit impatient, as you can probably tell, given the amount of music I've created over the past you know five or six years but uh you know um sometimes that's a good thing, you know it forces me to think on my feet, it forces me to you know think outside the box, which are all aspects of what makes this band, what makes infernal Symphony and its brand and its ambitions and its its overall sound what it is you know it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't me um but you know there are drawbacks to that sometimes it can lead to me feeling as though i haven't really you know fully achieved the kind of thing i you know i was setting out to do in the beginning whereas you know i've started writing new dungeon synth music using this approach and using the influence of some of these awesome incredible bands which i just you know awesomely incredible bands which I basically just didn't really give time of day before you know by accident you know it wasn't because I disliked them I simply just didn't have the interest there I didn't have that spark to want to actually do the digging and research them and find out what makes them tick and you know why they're successful and what it's all about from the ground up now I've started to do this it's opened my eyes to something which is You know, it's like it's awoken something incredibly deep and raw and primal within me that I've had since I was a kid. You know, those of you who have paid attention to this podcast will have heard a lot of the history regarding this band. One of the very first episodes I did of this podcast in season one talked about the origin story of how I got into Infernal Symphony and got into music in general. So those of you who know that story well will, of course, know that not only is my dad a musician, But I basically started playing music when I was about four or five years old on a keyboard, on a piano. You know, these are the the instruments of my youth and they're the exact same very instruments which are the absolute core central focus of Dungeon Synth. You know, as I discovered recently when I decided to, you know, alter my approach to account for this new knowledge about Dungeon Synth and, and what the genre really stands for... It basically it it made me incredibly nostalgic. A lot of people who are big fans of Dungeon Synth will obviously tell you that one of the incredible, amazing things about Dungeon Synth is its nostalgia value. A lot of it's lo-fi, a lot of it uses really, really retro, you know, analogue synths from the seventies and eighties, for example, Korgs, uh Moogs and all this sort of stuff, uh Roland's. Um and they just provide a sound and give you an emotion that you just can't get from any other means of writing or listening to music. And the similar sort of thing happened for me. Of course, I don't have access to those particular instruments, but I can try my hardest to kind of make ones which sound very similar to them and evoke similar feelings and also adapt my writing style to fit in with that kind of style as well. Um, You know, it's... And again, this you know, it's absolutely a perfect fit for this band as well. I actually can't believe my luck in a lot of ways because this band has also always been a historical medieval-based band. You know, it's one of my core passions is history in the medieval times ever since playing, you know, really old RPG games when I was a kid. You know, I've always had a massive fascination for both high fantasy and with history and the medieval period in particular. And this is literally a custom-made-to-measure um music genre it feels almost as if it's specifically made for me and it was under my nose this absolute whole time so you know apologies if i'm going a bit overboard with this guys i don't give a fuck to be honest with you like i literally i need to talk about this because this is the biggest revelation for this band since it began and i I know maybe that sounds a little bit over dramatic, but that's genuinely what i think it is you know that's the case and you know, you're gonna see for yourselves, guys, exactly why I'm getting so passionate and hyped up about this, and struggling and fumbling over my words in excitement. Because some of the stuff that I've created just lately, I am not shitting you. It is literally the absolute best thing I have ever applied myself to musically in my entire life. Not just my musical career, not just in terms of Infernal Symphony's lifespan. My entire life, guys. Seriously. Um. So what I've been working on is still going to basically be under wraps for now. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing it as we speak. In fact, I'm actually eating up valuable time, taking away from being able to continue working on that by recording this very episode of the podcast. But, um, you know, it's something I just have to do, guys. I'm actually going to go for a little bit, work on some of it right now, and I'll be back later. So sorry if this has been incredibly schizophrenic I don't care you guys are just gonna have to bear with me on this one guys sorry um, but trust me I'm actually gonna play a little brief tantalizing sample of one of the tracks that I am working on for this project of course it's March now funnily enough I was actually thinking about releasing um, one of these tracks just as a very very quick of demo just to test the waters and see how people feel about this see if it's any major improvement Over, I mean, I know for a fact it's an improvement over what I've done in the past, that I know for sure, but I just want the validation of other people recognizing that as such as well. So, one of those new songs that I've been working on with regard to Dungeon Synth will be coming out next month in April. Um, I'm going to save the reveal of it and uh, you know the the title and stuff towards the end of this episode because that's traditionally when we uh, you know play new music for the very first time. So, I will definitely be doing that later. But uh, yeah, I'm going to work on it a little bit more, guys, and come back to you shortly. So thanks for listening so far. Hopefully it isn't absolutely, you know, completely offensive to your ears. Maybe you've enjoyed it. Maybe you haven't. I really don't know what to think at the moment. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'll be back in just a sec, guys. So, I mean, I did warn you guys that this would be a bit of a weird episode and I think it's pretty much lived up to its name. So, again, you know, normal service will be resumed next month, guys. I hate to say it, you know, maybe it's just my psychology's messed up because of all my illnesses I've had recently. Who knows what it is? All I know is this stuff is absolutely killer. I'm so proud to finally have a new way to, uh, you know, basically apply my craft and a new thing to show you guys leading forward. Um, You know, speaking of that, I will be showing you a brand new song um, in just a few short minutes. It is basically the entire point of what this whole podcast episode has been leading up to. Um, And I've got something else in store for you as well, guys. So yes, I may have just put out Enveloped by the Rotten in January... A couple of months ago I may have literally just put out Evil Spirits this very month and to be honest I haven't even talked about that album at all you know somehow this episode even though it's literally something I've been incredibly excited to put out for you guys for a long time I've barely even mentioned it that's just how you know all consuming this new obsession with Dungeon Synth is. But um, yeah, check those albums out, guys. Head to infinalsymphonyuk.bandcamp.com if you want to check out any of the stuff I've talked about. Um, All of my music's on there. Um, But uh, what what else can I say? You know, it's just been a hell of a lot of stuff going on just lately. I hope you guys bear with me, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode so far anyway. Um, we're going to quickly do, I think the uh, it's probably about time to get the Metal Archives deep dives out of the way. Just because if I don't do it now, it's unlikely that I ever will until next month. And I've already missed out on it a few times <laughs> this season alone. Um, so let's quickly go over that. So let's go on the Metal Archives. Click the random ban button. Uh, how have you guys enjoyed this episode, guys? If you enjoyed it? You know, send me your thoughts. I'm sure there'll be a and a question to answer on the spotify version of this episode so make sure you uh you know you post your comments there please you know, if you so desire, I would very much appreciate it. I always read them, always look forward to that, and, uh, you know, I'll always uh, respond to them as well. The best ones will be featured on future editions. Um, same goes for Anchor as well. If you'd like to send any video messages in, potentially berating me about how crazy I've sounded this month. And you know what? To be honest, I deserve it. So, you know, fire away, guys. I You know, you know. Uh, all right, so let's, anyway, let's have a quick look. So if we just click the button, apparently we have, this month we have, uh, that one's no good. Some of these are literally just, uh, you know, entries that have been written by people just trying to score points on the system and their bands which don't even have any discography I think we should clarify that is one of the well you know one of the caveats to this one of the rules of being featured on the metal archives deep dives on this podcast is that you actually have to have some sort of recorded output that's been released in some way it doesn't matter if it's uh, you know whether it's on a label or if it's independent you know but if you're a band that's literally on this list on, on the metal archives website rather and you haven't got any any material to speak of then are you really even a band. Okay, here we go. This will do. So this month's um, band of the Metal Archive's Deep Dives is Slug, and they are a Swedish band located in Skoved, Kastjogodaland. Sorry about the pronunciation there if I butchered it. And they're right up my alley, it appears. They're a stoner slash heavy slash thrash metal band. They're an absolutely unsigned independent band, so fantastic. That's exactly the same as me. Uh, They were formed in 2005, And they managed to basically put out two EPs in 2005, a demo in 2006, and another EP in 2007. And that seems to be the extent of what they've done so far. So the EPs are entitled One Inch Punch. Don't even go there. Fuck up... Up, uh, What's that one? The demo. The Fuck Up Ellipse. (laughs) I quite like that title, actually, as well. That's pretty good. And their uh, final... EP so far spokesman of muted souls now based on those sounds and based on this very brief description here it sounds like something that would definitely be up my alley gonna have to check them out the band is headed up by rhythm guitarist Kale Stronsand on drums we have Frederick Skald we have Er Johan Ergeblom on vocals Jan Johansson on lead guitar I wonder if he's got any relation to uh, Jens Johansson, the Stradivarius keyboardist, and, you know, Ingvar Malmsteen. And, of course, we have Johan Arvidson on bass. So they seem like a bit of a Facebook band. I don't really know if they had much going for them, if they lasted much longer beyond these, you know, this brief flurry of uh, releases. Who knows whether their music's actually accessible. We'll have to wait and see. You know, maybe some of you guys out there can check that out for me and have a listen to them, Uh I probably won't have time this month. I'm too busy writing new music. So speaking of, with Out of the Way, let's talk about this brand new song. And it is actually leading up onto a brand new Dungeon Synth album. And it's the very first of its kind for me. I basically had the absolutely brilliant idea to do what I have done for my main, you know, full length albums uh, with the new recording setup and applied that to the Dungeon Synth of old as well. So, this is a totally new evolution for Infernal Symphony. We may as well not even be the same project because the stuff of the olden days, such as Poison Chalice, Psychopathic Remains, uh, you know, Faust, um, they basically just don't hold a candle to the stuff I'm able to do now with this new recording setup. You know, it's an evolution, it's a revolution, and my idea. Was originally to do one dungeon synth album and using this new style this new production technique you know writing um, from the heart and from the soul you know i'm thinking about things in terms of music theory now which is something i never ever have done and never dreamed i would ever do and that's just one tiny example of why this is such a boon to me it's such a benefit such a positive experience because i'm it's forcing me to think about things and do things in ways that i've never done before and surely, you know, in the name of progress and innovation and experimentation, which is what avant-garde music and it, which is what Infernal Symphony has always been about, this is exactly what I've needed. And hopefully that has come across to you guys in this episode, if nothing else. Um, where was I? Yes, so originally my idea was to just do one album, see how it went. Um, basically, I've had that much creativity and that much inspiration for this. Um, you know, it's just blossomed and blossomed to the point where... I'm currently now doing a double album that's going to be released into two separate volumes. One of those volumes is going to be coming out in May of 2023 and the follow-up will hopefully come out at the end of the year depending on whether I can manage to get it finished in time. If not, it'll come out in 2024 but I'm not going to actually reveal the specifics or any track names beyond the one I'm going to play here for you. And I'm not going to reveal the album title just yet because I want to work on it. And I really want to put the effort in this time around guys. You know, this isn't going to be one of my previous albums that I spent two or three weeks recording, you know, and posted two months, you know, before the previous album, I'm going to be doing it long term I'm really taking my time I really want to make a massive effort to progress and to innovate and to basically overachieve this time around guys so yes Um, I think the best thing for you to do is to stay tuned to the podcast guys I will be talking about it in detail you know, before the end of this season. So we've got maybe two or three more episodes to go, maybe four if you're lucky. Um, So I'll definitely be going into it in more detail later on, guys. But for now, let's talk about, and and more importantly, let's listen to what I've been working on. Um, So hopefully, you know, the better part of the last hour or so has hyped you up enough for this. Um, Hopefully it doesn't disappoint. As you can tell, my voice is about to give out because... You know, this infection I've had has basically rendered me barely unable to breathe as it is. So sorry about that as well. But the track is going to be the first track of part one of this two-part volume of albums in my totally brand new Dungeon Synth style. I can barely talk, so I'm going to have to get this out of the way soon, guys. So this track is called disturber of the peace i can't really say much more than that we're running out of time anyway my voice is about to give out at any moment's notice so hopefully you listen to this guys hopefully the hopefully the music speaks for itself disturber of the peace coming from my brand new album coming out in a few months i'm going to detail for you later on Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. Normal service will be resumed next month. So sorry about that, guys. Sorry if it's been grating on the ears. You know, not much I can do about it at the moment. You know, it's just the circumstances that we're under this month. But hey-ho, let's strive on. Let's carry on and go forwards. Same as we always do. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Hopefully it's been some form of entertainment for you in some way. I've been Demonic Bishop and very very ill and very very hyperactive. You guys have been amazing as always. Thank you ever so much for all the support. I really appreciate it and without any further ado let's listen to the absolute brand new track. My very first real proper dungeon synth release I have ever done. Disturber of the Peace. <laughs>